morning. It's great to be here uh, and be able to preach the Word of God um, and worship with you. Our, our psalm, or our passage today comes from Psalm. We continue on this series, the Psalms of our lives. And though I think the original um, idea was psalm, Psalms that encouraged Pastor Phil through his life, I don't think it really is exclusive to him as the psalm that we will read this morning. Um, I hope, my hope is that it would be an encouragement to you as well. So if you can, please turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46, and we will read the entire psalm together. All right, Psalm chapter 46, and this is the Word of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let us pray. O great God, and King of the universe, we come before you once again. Every one of us, we face troubles. There's no doubt about it. Even now, this past week, we have our share of troubles, whether it be the anxiety of finals, maybe even broken relationships, the worries of things yet to come, and not knowing what our future holds. Father, maybe there are troubles that we ourselves have caused or maybe the troubles others have done to us. But we come before your throne and your feet to say, not to hide them, but to say that we have nowhere else to turn. Father, we come to you because we know that you are a sure refuge and strength. So please be with us now and may your spirit open up our eyes and our hearts so that we may hear the message that you have for us and give us life and renew us once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of you may know the story of the three little pigs. And if you don't, I'm just going to say it in the quickest way possible. There were three pigs. The first in each of them built a house. The first pig built his out of straw. The second pig built his out of stick. And the third pig, painstakingly, put all of his time and energy into building his house out of brick. Now, one day, a wolf comes, 
and he's hungry. Of course, he's, he's got to be a hungry wolf, right? There's never a, a full wolf. He's a hungry wolf, and he comes looking for food, and he happens to stumble upon the pigs. And he goes to the first pig, and there's the whole chinny-chin-chin thing, and he says, I'm going to blow your house down, and he does, because his house is made of straw. And then the pig runs over to his, I, I think it's his brother, right, or sister, runs to the other pig's house of stick and goes in there, and the wolf, I can just see him rolling his eyes, like, are you really trying to run from me? Goes to the second house, blows that house down of stick, and those two pigs go to the third house. Now the third, now the third house, the wolf comes to, and he tries to blow, and nothing happens. And he's hungry, so he's determined, so he goes down the chimney, but what happens is that there's a fire, he burns his tail, he screams, runs away, and it's the end of the story. Now, when I was researching this, I didn't realize how gruesome the original story was. Um, I gave you the Disney version for a reason. But nevertheless, original story or this story, the point, of the moral of the story is this. Hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. As I was reading this, I'd like to think there's another lesson to be learned. And that is, a brick house is much safer than a straw or stick house. Now, you might be thinking, it's like, all right, that's way too overly simplified, right? It's too obvious. Now, even a child knows that a brick house is stronger than a straw or a stick house, right? A brick house is proved to be strong. It can withstand storms, withstand snow and the elements, whereas the other two can't. But as obvious as that may be, how come it's not so obvious for us that when we face various troubles in our lives, that we don't turn and find shelter in the most powerful, most tested, most reliable person in the universe. And rather, we often put our trust in our version of sticks and, sticks and straw. See, Psalm 46 is one of the many places in the Bible that tells us to trust in God in our troubles. Christians throughout history turn to this psalm to find confidence and hope in times of great uncertainty, great suffering and danger. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther composes his, his magnum opus, right? The most famous, famous hymn that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, by looking to this Psalm. We may know Martin Luther to be this courageous man who, who, who stood up against the great and almighty Catholic Church, but what we don't always hear is that his life thereafter was filled with trials. He was always on the run. He was always in the danger of being caught and even the danger of being put to death. And though he faced the troubles in his life, he would always sing this hymn because it reminded him and it would give him the confidence that through all of his troubles, God was with him. This is the same message for us today. We can have confidence through all of our troubles in our lives because God is with us. We can have confidence through the troubles and hardships, uncertainties, sufferings, and dangers because the Lord Almighty is with us. So to understand this message, we're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look at our troubles. 
What are they and how do we respond to them? Then second, we're going to look at who is God and why is he such a reliable strength for us to turn to? And then lastly, we'll close our time to look at what is the proper response to have when we are faced with trouble in our life. So first, the troubles in our lives. If you look back into your scriptures or into the passage, we read that there are two different kinds of troubles that we face in our life. The first, or one of the troubles, is the ones that we face from nature. And the other are troubles that we face from other people. Let us look at verse 2 and 3. And it reads, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now when we read the first part, the earth gives way, it is not so much poetic, but it is pretty, it's a pretty accurate description of what seems to be an earthquake. And for ancient Israel, it wouldn't be an uncommon thing for them to know what an earthquake is like. So quick geography, ancient Israel is in, located in what's called the Rift Valley, and that is where two tectonic plates meet, and what they do is they, they constantly move away from each other, creating a rift. Now, by, by being located on a rift valley, ancient Israel would often feel earthquakes, right? So maybe this is an earthquake. But when we continue to read, we quickly see that this is actually poetic. Why? Because it starts to talk about how the mountains are being thrown into the sea and how, how by, as it sinks into the waters, the waters are foaming and then the mountains are shaking. I don't know about you. I have never heard of any natural disaster where mountains are being thrown into the sea. And that is true of this uh, psalm. It's consistent with the psalm because this psalm is a song. It uses poetic language. And the purpose of this poetic language is that the songwriter is to show us it's not necessarily an earthquake, but even the worst and the most dangerous or chaotic or cataclysmic natural disasters that can happen to us. Even though it may happen, we will not fear because God is with us. Now, here in South Jersey, although it's almost been a year since we've had a tornado, a, a pretty devastating tornado, but by God's grace, we rarely are faced with natural disasters. Right? There are tsunamis in Southeast Asia. There's, there's wildfires running ablaze in California. There's hurricanes down in Florida recently ripping through. And for them, it's, it's a thing that they face every day. But even though we may not face those natural disasters, we are no stranger to sickness, to pandemics, to disease and illness, even to the point of death. See, we are not strangers to the troubles that nature brings to us. Even this past week we had and we prayed for two of our dear members who have faced these very natural troubles in their lives. The second kind of trouble that we see, this is a little bit more brief, but nevertheless it is there, and that we see in verse 6, and it reads, The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Throughout the Bible we read, often Israel is at war with enemy nations because of where they're located and because of the, the fertile land that they rest on. There's nations in the north and the south and the east that are constantly trying to take their land. Now, we, can't, we definitely can't relate to what it's like to have 
people ransack our homes and take our land. But there are people in this world that experience that. The most obvious one right now is the war in Ukraine. But there are other maybe not as known situations, maybe in Africa or in other governments where it's a lot less stable, where people are taking other people's properties, their people, their families, and even their lives. But even for us, even though we may not relate, we also experience the troubles that come from other people. I'll use one example, and it is something that is very prominent these days, and that is this this cancel culture that is running rampant in our society. You see, even if you aren't on social media, we know, many of us know, the fears and the dangers of people's lives and reputations being ruined because we don't hold to a particular belief or to support a certain stance. Now, even though it may not apply to us, but maybe for some of us, we do experience this fearful moment. It is fearful for us to be challenged by people, right, and to be canceled. And so what we often do is we are fearful and we either cave in to be more like the secular world to our demise, or sometimes what we will do is that we will keep silent as Christians to their demise, to the demise of a world that is in desperate need of a hope in Jesus Christ, and yet we stay silent. And that's only for those who aren't on social media. And if you are on social media, God bless you. God bless you because I could only imagine if that's what it's like for people who aren't actively on social media, how much more are we who are on social media being bombarded and inundated and challenged and being confronted with fear on a daily level? And what is worse, the, the thing that can cancel you is always changing. Right? It's, I think it started with race, then it started with this LGBTQ, where you stand on gender, then it's, it's moved, or maybe, maybe it hasn't moved, but it maybe circled back around to abortion. And there are even other things. Maybe for our mothers, it's how do you be a good mother? Or, or for, for our younger folks, how to be a cool person in high school or in college? How to be relevant? How to matter without being, cult, without being canceled? The list is endless. And this fearfulness is not unique to individuals, but even as a collective, as a church. We experience this fearfulness because often, even for our churches, we're often in danger of not wanting to be canceled, worrying too much about what the world says, and we ourselves are not reflecting the church of God. You see, the Bible teaches one thing, many things, but one of the things is that troubles in life is inevitable. You don't need to be a Christian to know that fact. You don't need to be a certain age. You don't need to be a certain race, certain gender, certain ethnicity, certain culture to know that in this life, we know that the world is not right and we will face troubles. And this is because we all collectively are experiencing the effects of sin, our sin, our sin, has made this world not right. And because of our sin, we face our troubles. 
And the thing that we do also, which is common to all of us, is that when we face our troubles, we will always turn to something to give us a sense of security, a sense of refuge, turn to something that will give us confidence. And though we should be turning to God, oftentimes we turn to other things for our security and protection. Things like money, things like relationship, power, and comfort. But you see, all of these things will fail us. And we know that to be true. They do not provide a lasting confidence. Because if money did, then we would never find ourselves to think that we never have enough. You see, if relationships did, for those who are single or those who are dating, who maybe even recently broke up, if relationships provided that, we would never be looking for the next relationship. Or we wouldn't be looking to, if I get married, then things will be better. Or even for those who are married and who have family, if relationship provided that security, then you wouldn't find your worth and your value and your identity in your spouse and in your kids. If power satisfied, we wouldn't be seeking for the next promotion or the next best job or finding different ways to leverage, to have control in our circumstances. And lastly, if our comforts did satisfy, we wouldn't just watch one show. We wouldn't only be satisfied with one hour of Minecraft or just the one episode or just one more. Or maybe for some of us, we wouldn't be satisfied with just one round of golf. I don't mean to call anyone out, but the point is, our, our comforts, they, they do not satisfy us. Which leads me to the next point of why God is the only one that can provide that security for us. Verse 4 of our psalm begins a new section in our psalm. It's a song, so it's a new section. And where we are left with this tumultuous, chaotic scene of the, of the earth coming undone, all, it's so abrupt if you read it. We'll read it again. Though its waters, verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though those mountains tremble at its swelling. And it's just this abrupt scene change of this river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. You see, the waters of this river make the city glad. In ancient times, it was very common for cities to be uh, besieged, right? They attack them. They have walls. The walls are meant to keep people out. But if you're being besieged, it actually keeps you from leaving. So sometimes being besieged would actually be to your demise because if you don't have enough resources, you can't outlast the siege. But sometimes, some cities would have a water source like a river. And for those cities who do, they have a far greater chance to outlast the city or the, the siege because they have a source of water for themselves, for their livestock, maybe if they grow uh, produce inside the walls, maybe even for that. So they can outlast it because of the steady source of water. And the psalm is using this idea, using another poetic picture of the city, the city of God, where God dwells with his people. But as we read, the poetry goes, as we read from verse 4, we read into verse 5, that the river itself that is in the middle of the city of God, the river is God himself. 
It says that God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of his people. And therefore, the city shall not be moved. A side note, interesting to note, is that that word there, move, that we see in verse 5, is the same word that is used in verse 3, where it says, or verse 2, where it says, the mountains be moved. And then also later on in in verse 6, where it says that the kingdoms totter. Now, in the original Hebrew, it just means to move. But move in such a way, the more detailed definition, is the idea of being shaky. By being standing on some um, insecure ground. Uh, Our youth group recently went to ice skating. And so if you want to see a good example of what this word means, right, go to the ice skating rink and you'll see plenty of people who, who are shaking. Are, un, are standing on unsteady ground. But you see, whereas even nature and even people, the people outside of the city, they do not stand on something that is sure and that is, that is firm. You see, for the people of God, when God is with them, even if the world were to crumble, and even if the people around us and our enemies were to oppose us, you see, for us, we do not shake because God is with us. And that is the reason why we can be glad. You see that everything in this world is temporary. History has shown to us that various pandemics and diseases have come and gone. Many mighty kingdoms have rose and fallen. Many kings have come and gone. Even in our life, there are good times. Sometimes there are bad times. There are days where like, we're, we feel like this, we're on top of the world and other days we say to ourselves, life can't get any worse. But you see, as, men, as much as those things are never consistent, the one thing that is consistent in this world is that God provides the steady stream of care for his people. And because we can count on a God who does not change, we have reason for joy, and for hope, no matter our circumstances. You see, God does not promise Christians will live a life without troubles. In fact, in fact, the opposite is probably closer to the truth. Right? We see throughout the Bible, we see countless times, stories of God's people experience troubles of various kinds. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is known to be the, the chapter of faith the hall of fame of those who have faith. But if you see in that chapter of all the people, there's two things that are common to every single person. One, yes, they have great faith. But also two, every single one of them faced troubles. Jesus himself assured to his disciples that in this world you will face tribulation. We recently finished a series on James We're in the very beginning of the book, it says, when, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds. And I I bet every believer in this room can attest to the fact that ever since becoming a Christian, our troubles have not gone away. Yet you see, though God does not promise in this life to be easy for Christian, one thing he does promise, and that is he will be with us through our troubles. And this promise is most clearly stated in verse 7. 
where it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Just as when Abraham left his country to go to Canaan, and the Bible says, God says to Abram, I will be your shield. God was with, with Moses when he faced Pharaoh, who was the most powerful human being at the time. He was also with the Israelites in the wilderness, being with them as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, God could have taken them out and removed their troubles, but rather, what does he do? He enters into the fire with them. So you may ask, okay, so I'll concede. God is with us in our troubles, but that only gives us comfort if we know what kind of a God he is. So for example, I haven't watched um, wrestling in a while, but if you know wrestling, there's tag teams, right? Sometimes there's tag teams. Now, if I, I have, here's the thing, I've never wrestled in my life, so I, don't, I wouldn't even know what to do. But if I was to go into a tag team match and someone told me, hey, you're going to be partnered up with Billy Joe, to me, it means nothing. I need to know who Billy Joe is. You see, my confidence is going to differ if Billy Joe is the world champion of wrestling or if he also has never wrestled in his life. Same thing for us. What comfort do we have if God is with us, if we do not know what kind of a God he is? If we read in, in verse 7, it actually does show us what kind of a God he is. And we see that in the two names that is given to God. And these two names explain two different attributes of God. So really quick, the first name, the Lord of hosts. Now, it is weird that we, it's like, Lord of, I don't know if you've ever read the Lord of hosts, and it's like, the host of what? Well, the, the real understanding is that he is the Lord of heavenly hosts. And in other words, he is the Lord and the commander and the king over all the heavenly bodies. That includes the universe, the sun, the stars, the moons, and the galaxies, but also even the heavenly beings, the angels. So when we read this, what we're reading is actually, it is the Lord who is the commander of heavenly armies. He is the most powerful being. He is the sovereign God. He is in control of everything. There is no person or thing or no event in history that has happened or will happen that isn't because of his control in it. This is what it means. For the Lord of hosts is with us. He is our sovereign God. But the second name, the second name describes a different attribute, the God of Jacob. Now, it, it, it first and foremost does speak to his faithfulness. As you know, Jacob, he was the grandson of Abraham. God gave Abraham a promise, made a covenant with him, told him that he would make him great, that many nations will be blessed through him, that we ourselves here are a testament that through the covenant God made with Abraham, and that through the nations would be blessed, that we ourselves, though we may not be Jewish, that God's promise has, has carried through history that we also have been included in the family of God. God of Jacob means the God who made the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same faithful God who makes and keeps his covenant with you. Now, but with that, also this name also speaks to a different attribute of God. And that's to show his grace and his mercy. 
if you do read about Jacob in the Bible, Jacob, much like Abraham, his grandfather, is not the most stellar example of a godly man. In fact, if you read his stories, you will see that Jacob is a plotter, he is a liar, he is a manipulator, and he's a coward. Even from birth, he comes out holding on to his brother's heel. And so he is named one who grabs the heel or in, in, I think it's a Hebrew idiom, to say that he's a cheater. But you see, the name, the God of Jacob, attests not to the person of Jacob, who obviously is an unworthy name. It would be an insult to highlight that I am the God of an unworthy person such as Jacob. No, the name is not to highlight Jacob. The name is to highlight the kind of God he is, that he is even a God who is willing to save and to love and to be with such people as Jacob, such people as you and as me. See, this is a testament to his grace. If that be the case, when we read this verse and we ask, fine, God is with me. What sort of God? We should now read this verse, verse 7. It in itself should give us encouragement to know that the God who is in control is also a God who is willing to be faithful and to be merciful to be our God. And He is the one who is with us in our troubles. You see, that is the heart of the Christmas message. You see, the joy of Christmas is that we celebrate God's faithfulness to his people. He fulfills his promise with us. It is to show that God is gracious, that he will come down from heaven and assume a human body to save sinners like us. See, Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's commitment to be with us. That God, the second person of the Godhead, would take on a human body and live among the people. You see, God is, Jesus is the Lord. He is the Lord that we see in verse 8 and 9. Behold the works of the Lord. He is the same Yahweh that in the Old Testament brought desolations to all the enemies of Israel. He laid waste to their armies. He has all the power and the strength. And yet, though he does, Jesus comes down as a helpless babe. Born in a poor situation, he grows up, experienced the same troubles that you and I face, and maybe even more because he faces hunger, thirst. He is rejected by his loved ones and family. He is abandoned by his friends. He has no place to live. He eventually is, is mocked. He is looked down upon, made fun of, and so much more. You see, he had every power to oppose his enemies in his life here, but he doesn't. You see, even us in our sin and rebellion towards God, having confidence in ourselves rather than in God, it is deserving that God would even, that God would have broken our bows as the psalm says, broken our bones, our bows, cut off our spears, and even burned our chariots. All the things that we hold confidence in, 
these weapons that we hold to so dearly. It would be deserving for God to break these things. Yet Jesus takes on the punishment for us, and rather it is his body that is broken. It is he who is cut off from his Father. And in his death, it is he who experiences the fiery wrath that we deserve. And he did that on our behalf so that God can truly be with us by giving us his spirit so that he may dwell with us and nourish us as the river does in the city of God. I believe the second verse of of the Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, capture the heart of the Christmas celebration. It says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You see the difference between our Christmas celebration and the celebration that the secular world has is that come December 26th, the lights come down, B101 stops playing the song, I think. Christmas tree comes down, right? The best time of the year ends. But for Christians, the Christmas message is not reserved for a particular time on our calendar. It is something that we could sing every day throughout the year and throughout our lifetime because this message, this truth is true for us. Jesus has come. He has borne our sins. He has died for you. And that is why we rejoice. And to our last point, having seen the wonderful works of our God, what is the proper response we should have? See, in the psalm, God speaks for the first time. And in verse 10, he says this He commands us, and this is our proper response. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still, be silent, and simply know that he is God and we are not. Be still not because, not, not be, be still because not one detail in our lives goes unnoticed. Not one thing is according to his plan. You see, this is what Job realizes. We finished the series on Job, and we saw there at the end of the series, Job and his friend, Job goes through some situation, troubles in his life, and the bulk of the, the book is Job and his friends trying to figure out God, trying to figure out his situation. And then finally there at the end of the book, God finally enters the scene, And for three full chapters, I mean, that's rough. Three three full chapters, God asks Job and explains to him, were you there when I did all of these works? And the thing is, it's not even an exhaustive list. God only just shares a glimpse of his work. But you see, that glimpse of his power and his control and his knowledge his sovereignty, Job's response is to be silent. In fact, this is what he says. 
After God explains everything, Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Later on, he says, I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You see, even with the little that was shown to Job, Job has this response. You see, for us, we are given more insight. We are revealed more of God's plan than Job got to see. You see, God may not show us all the details like he, did, he didn't with Job. And sometimes, maybe most of the times, we don't even know why we're experiencing the troubles that we face. But the thing is, God does not leave us completely in the dark. Because though he may not show us everything, he has revealed to us the most important things and the most important parts of his promises in our lives. You see, God has saved us through his son. God, Jesus has died for our sins. He has been raised from the dead. And we also are told that we will be raised as Jesus was raised from the dead. And we know that just as God said he would in this psalm, in Philippians 2, we are shown and God declares that Christ has been exalted over all the earth, over all the nations and the peoples, and that he has been given the name above all names and that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That God has revealed to us and we can take comfort in that. So as we leave this place and even as we start this next week, even as we go into, you know, towards December 25th and in our Christmas celebration, brothers and sisters, I urge you to hold fast to the wonderful works that God has revealed and the promises that he has given to us. So that as we face the troubles in our lives, which we will, probably some of you as soon as you leave, Remember, and let us have confidence in that God who did not spare his own son, he will most surely and graciously give to us all good things. And may it be also for us, just as the Psalms, Psalm 46 repeats, may we also repeat this final verse regularly as we have confidence to face our troubles in our lives. The Lord of hosts is with me, or with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Almighty God in heaven and most, most gracious Father, we thank you for the wonderful works in which you have done for us. We thank you for your commitment and your faithfulness and your steadfast love for your people. God, often we face troubles. Often we try to run from them. Often even our troubles come because of our lack of trust in you. But praise be to God that you are a God. As it says in the Bible, no matter where we, we run, whether it's to the farthest of heavens, you will come looking for us. We thank you during this Christmas season that you have found us and you have come down. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and for his blood and the assurance that he gives. 
and the spirit of Jesus that we are given so that even though we face the troubles in this life, help us to have confidence to know, Lord, our future in eternity has been secured in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro off of Harvard Avenue adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.